What's up, everyone? Welcome to the My Favorite Horror Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ackerman. We have a badass show for you today. Firstly, a few nights ago, I decided to change things up a bit and try out a new format for some of the episodes. And this is the first attempt at that, and I think it turned out great, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from you guys to see if you guys like it. Uh, I know many of you out there are filmmakers or would like to be filmmakers or, or are in the horror business of some sort, so I've started hitting up horror creators to do a series of enlightening episodes where I pit different professions against each other in a healthy debate on the good and bad in dealing with the other profession. So this could be directors versus actors, painters versus graphic designers, uh, producers versus screenwriters, uh, and the ins and outs of those. So uh, for the first one, I've thrown together filmmakers versus film festival directors in the ring to battle over the best and worst ways they can interact with each other. So if you're a budding filmmaker or someone who wants to start a film festival, uh, this is some great insight into the minds of each side. Uh, so before we jump into it, if you like our podcast, please like, follow, share, and or subscribe to My Favorite Horror Movie on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you podcast. And if you truly love horror, then check out the My Favorite Horror Movie trilogy of books where we've collected 150 essays by 150 horror legends and luminaries on the horror film that changed their lives. All right, so let's start off with filmmakers Brian Netto and Adam Schindler on the latest badass project that they have going on, and then we'll patch in Heidi Honeycutt and Miguel Rodriguez for episode four, Filmmakers versus Film Festivals. Let's go. All right, so our first guest created the films Delivery of the Beast Within and Intruders, which played at film festivals all around the world, including the L.A. Film Festival, Scream Fest, Fight Fest, Toronto After Dark, Brussels International Film Festival, and Sitges. Most recently, they wrote and directed Grey Cloud Island, the Grey Cloud Island episode of Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright, the horror anthology for Quibi. Please welcome Adam Schindler and Brian Netto. Hey guys, yeah, you guys, yeah, hey you guys can talk it up. Let's, let's go. Let's <laughs> we can talk. We can talk. Yeah. How's it going, How's guys? It going? Have a... It's going, we're man. Just quarantining. We're, we're we're good, man. We're good. Just writing and quarantining. Yeah, yeah. So and, and so, how are you uh, keeping yourselves busy during this quarantine and not going mad? You know, I I'm working from home. My wife's working from home. We got we got a son, so he's he's pre-K. So it's not like I'm doing a lot of schooling, but mm -hmm. it's mostly keeping him busy and then sneaking off to get a little writing done here and there. And 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 it's been I've been hyper creative. I feel bad when I said it because every time we talk to people, there's a lot of times people are having tough times dealing with everything. They're juggling so much, and then obviously yep. the anxiety of what's happening, and then the uncertainty of paying your bills and all that stuff. But I've just been hyper creative during this process. It's been it's been pretty remarkable that I can. We've slowed down from post on the Quibi show so that we can I can watch shows again and then write again. So yeah. I found it. I've been very productive. Yeah, myself. you're able to you're able to just watch shows finally and not have to to finally. do. I, yeah. I, I try I try not to watch too much. I feel like when I'm when we're in post on something or if I'm supposed to be delivering something, if we were just handed something into uh, just a script in, and so it feels kind of guilty when you're not working on it when you're supposed to be working on it and you know you have a deadline. It feels guilty to to cut off and watch something 
So yeah. I find myself oh, yeah. grinding away. Even if I'm not making any progress, I just find myself grinding away on it. So once you hand it in, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, I can get off the Ferris wheel and just like, what's out there? Like, I'm so behind. On the, yeah, exactly. The, the, cl- the clearing of your head portion after you hand something in is as important as the actual writing because you need to like give yourself some some time away from what it we just handed the script into our manager last week and giving ourselves some time away from it is is super important so you can come back and have a perspective on it and go oh yeah this scene needs to be here and this scene needs to be here and this changes this way yeah uh, Yeah, distance creates some clarity I wrote a script in uh, March, and then we kind of just tinkered with it in April, but we still kind of kept super separated from it for a while, just to just to refo- refocus. And you know, it, it's been a, it's been kind of mm. weird with with time schedules and stuff. And you guys have families, but I don't have a family, so I mm-hmm. uh, was sleeping all crazy hours after a while, and it, it just mm. became this weird shift of things. Yeah. Uh, of of just sleep patterns that it, it and it kind of started sucking the soul out of me for a second. It wasn't a, de- a depression, but it was <laughs> like, oh, what? I, I'm just lazy right now. I only slept three hours, then I was up for eight, and I slept another three, and I'm up for eight. And so, and Adam, so uh, how are you dealing with this? I mean, so you guys are writing together, but what are you doing at home? Uh, you know, with your time. I yeah. Yeah, I mean, my wife's working from home. We have two kids. I have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. So it's kind of runs mm-hmm. the gamut from actual schoolwork. Luckily, LAUSD has been really, really good, you know, with the homeschooling thing. So my, my daughter has, they handed out a computer, a Chromebook, and she's been, she has class every single day for a couple hours. Um, my three-year-old's a little bit tougher. Um, we've gotten some stuff from her Montessori, just some little assignments and like tracing and what have you. So I, I mean, I'm big into schedules. Like that's my thing, and, and that's what keeps <laughs> okay. me on. And it's like I, I don't want to say I run it. I'm running this place like a like a military training, but it, oh. it kind of is that way. It's, it's the only way to get anything done, and the only way to like feel like you're moving through the day and progressing. You know, so my wife takes the morning, I take the afternoon to work, and then okay. they have school time and Thank relax God time. For Adam. Adam is the he is the the scheduler of the two of us. So it's, uh, he, again, he keeps he keeps the thing running. If it was up to Brian, we would we would still be working on that. We would still be working on delivery. Oh yeah, the script is not quite right yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a balance, so you gotta have you gotta have the two halves to make a whole. You know. Yeah. So you guys just yeah, uh, you just 100%. released over the past like week or two uh, the your seg- your episode of Fifty States of State States of Fright. Which is called mm-hmm. Gray Cloud Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about uh, about the story. I have not seen this show yet, so I'm 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 probably gonna end this podcast and and run off and watch it now that I have some time. Uh, yeah, tell me about I it. I would suggest. Yeah, I would suggest checking it out. Not, I mean, not just because we have an episode, <laughs> but uh, across the board. But across the board, no. But across the board, the, the, all the filmmakers involved. Sam Raimi did the pilot of it. So oh, really? For anybody who doesn't know, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know what. Quibi is. Quibi is an app. Um, everything on Quibi is is made to be watched on your phone, although I've read that that's going to be changing soon. Um, and, by next month. Uh, uh, by next month, you'll be able to yeah. cast Yeah, by next month is what, is so what you can't watch on the computer. What I've read. You can't even watch on the computer? Strictly nope. your phone. Nope. Oh, okay. So that's something interesting to, to discuss. Okay. You, you can watch it uh, from. I haven't seen it on an iPad, but you can watch it on an iPad, I guess. But it's still, it's like the the phone version for the iPad, so it hasn't been scaled up quite. But 
nonetheless, it's uh, meant to be watched on your phone. Uh, the show that we have an episode in is called 50 States of Fright. It's executive produced. And like I said, the pilot episode was uh, directed and written by Sam Raimi. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, um, awesome. our, our, it's basically telling urban legends and ghost stories and what have you from all the 50 states. The wow. first the first batch that they've released is there's five states. Um, the first, our state is Minnesota, which is our, our home state. So we lucked out with that. I'll let oh. Brian tell you a little bit about what our, what our ed- episode is without giving away spoilers, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, we grew up not too far from great cloud Island. So it's basically, what is that? What is great cloud Island then? Well, it's, I mean, this is what we knew of it when we lived there. Okay. Barely anything. <laughs> which was the idea that it's an island that's <laughs> in our same county 10 minutes away and a bunch of funky stuff happens there like it was so it was so random it didn't really it didn't really register for us but once we moved away and obviously the age of the internet things spread and this I, and this whole the series came about once you know once we got the opportunity to come in and pitch we started to dive back in and we're like oh that's right i mean it was the kind of thing you heard about when you were a kid but nothing really stuck because it was so random and that's what we built into our story. So, for example, the true stories are there's everything from cults, you know, devil worship to a phantom pickup truck that will just drive around the island and, and chase people away to mm-hmm. strange lights to carcasses to KKK activity. It should, it's a grab bag of, of urban legends. And so what we said is, well, the reason, you know, most all of the time Great, Cal- urban, Great Cloud Island all is on all, Great Clown, really? all on okay. Great Clown. Which, which in and of itself is what makes it so unique. It's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle of, of, of you know, horror yeah, stories. So, so okay. for the most really? part, you have most urban legends are based on like the woman in the white dress, and she'll come and chase you away at midnight. But this was just, it, it was not very specific at all. It was everything. So our story we built around the idea that four guys are dropped off for a fraternity initiation because everyone knows it's haunted, but no one really has a specific idea as to what it's really, what the real haunting is, or what the specific horror is. So we just built the idea that all these random things that happened on the island were basically sent out or just stories made up by the townspeople because they're hiding a larger, darker secret. That's not giving anything away because that's just a jumping off point. And um, it's 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 a lot of fun. I think the most more than anything. And they're all very different. Every single episode is so very different Uh, You know, versus like if you watch Creepshow or Tales from the Crypt, they have a very specific feel and tone to them that's basically um, that you'll find in every episode. The, uh, this is this is different. Every filmmaker brings their own sensibilities. So ours is kind of a mashup of all of our sensibilities, which you grew up in, you know, grew up with action, thrillers, you know, suspense, mm-hmm. adventure stories. And so you'll find a little bit of everything in our story. Mm-hmm. It's very, very bloody. It's a lot of fun. Um, so How long is it? And I know a lot of our... Total well, yeah. Our total episode is about twenty-four minutes long. Okay. The way Quibi breaks down it, specifically our show, their whole thing is you know chapters or episodes that are between five and ten minutes long. Yes, uh, they're meant to be watched in line at the bank or on the bus or, or what have you. Obviously, yeah. they dropped <laughs> it um, six weeks ago during the middle of a pandemic. So uh-huh. you know that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate, but. Um, our episode specifically is 24 minutes long, told over the course of three, three chapters. Now, I, I know a lot of people who are going to be watching this are going, oh, f- something made to be watched on a phone. But I'll let you know that everything that's on it is very cinematic. Like, okay, you know, yeah. I saw the trailer. Right. No, it's, everything. It's, yeah. Looks very cinematic. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, 
it looks it looks like a big it looks like a big we shot it that way we shot it to be shown on as big a screen as you could possibly watch yeah you know, you know you're on a phone uh we were just like what the hell we're just gonna sh- we're gonna shoot it the way we want it yeah that's great you're you're cutting out a bunch so hopefully uh hopefully uh, you're right do you see that brian I see a little bit of it, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's long story short, yeah, it's 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 you see if you've seen the trailer, uh, the one thing I'll say is if you've not watched the trailer, don't watch it, <laughs> only because the trailer. I barely gorgeous. watched the trailer, yeah. Well, it's fine. It's beautiful, but it's filled with it's filled with a lot of spoilers. Um, so I would say just go in fresh. But you know, look, okay. If if you need no other attraction than the fact that Sam Raimi's back in horror for the first time since Drag Me to Hell, yeah. Um, exactly. You shouldn't need anything more than that, and then everything beyond that. It's just very unique t- uh, tales, and and we haven't even gotten to the back half yet. The back half has stuff um, from Beck and Woods, the guys that did Quiet Place. They've got a oh, yeah. segment, uh, and and, and um, a couple of others that are really interesting. So I, I would just say check it out. I mean, here's a cool. Here's the thing: Quibi is free for the next two weeks. Sorry. Okay. If if you sign for, up for now, the first two weeks, you right, get a yeah. t- you get a two week free subscription. Okay. Doesn't cost doesn't cost you a dime. Yeah, you guys so, are a great company all all around. It's all around. it's uh yeah uh, uh, Alejandro and I'm gonna butcher his last name Bruges Bruges. Oh yeah yeah. One of the yeah. dead. Yes. He's a segment as well, which is a which is a blast, and there's a couple of others that you just you'll dig. I mean, if you like horror oh. stuff, it's okay. It's, so m- my main thing right now is like, okay, Brian, your favorite horror movie is The Evil Dead. Yes. Uh, Adam, what what's your favorite horror film? Um, I'd have to say my favorite horror film is the, and everybody's going to just shrug and like roll their eyes. The Exorcist, uh, you know, that's probably my favorite. Why would I shrug? No, I I don't (laughs) know. I was like, okay, yeah, okay. Just going, you know, the the old standby. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have some weird esoteric movie for your favorite horror movie. It's like, if he has Evil Dead, you have Exorcist, it's fine. It's it's one of the best, uh, top five best horror movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Still scary to this day. I was literally just watching it today. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Organized religion, like just kind of the Catholic Church, always yeah. is always just give me the jeep, jeepy creepies. Like yeah, so, uh, I don't know. So where I was going with it is that okay, uh, Brian, Evil Dead. I mean, I'm sure you grew up with Evil Dead. I grew up in it. Mm-hmm. You guys got to work with Sam Raimi. Tell yeah. me uh, how you got involved with this show. And what was the first meeting with Sam? And what did you guys talk about? And how did you guys work together throughout the show? You want to go, Adam, or you want me to go? Go ahead. Okay, ahead. we, you know, we know someone that we we know one of the execs that work at Gunpowder and Sky, and Gunpowder and Sky was kind of the point team on okay. this. Um, Sam Raimi and his producing partner Debbie Liebling were uh, producers as well, and so. He just mentioned, hey, we got this show coming out. You should bring in some pitch ideas. We brought in three different states, Texas, Oregon, Minnesota. But Minnesota, Great Cloud Island, our home state, was the most fully fleshed out. So okay. secretly, we wanted this one because it was also really big. Like when you watch it, you realize like it's it's a really big scope to it. Like we're just going all over the place. And so we were excited about that opportunity. We pitched to a, cu- a couple of different times and the last time we pitched to Debbie he's producing partner and a, and you know look when you it, it's tough like we all we've all been in the situation where you're pitching and you get the blank face and you get this face yeah <laughs> and you just kind of jot stuff down and you just you just never know we pitched to Debbie on the phone and at the end of it she goes she laughed and she goes that's great i love it and uh-huh. Few more words after that, you know, kind of hung up, and Adam and I were like, "That was probably the best pitch we've had." Again, this was over the uh, phone, 
But we've done it two or three times by that point. But it, it, it more than anything, when people see it, they'll know. It's just fun. It's just a ride. Yeah. Um, so after that, we, you know, it's a period of wait. Like, you know, from start to finish, it's uh, it was about a year from the pitch to wow. now. It was about a year. So the, our first communication with, with Sam was that we did a conference call where we did a table read. And he mm. read... You know, the fun thing is he read a character, which I don't. This is like a pinch me moment. This is like our pinch me moment. Like what? What? Uh. I don't don't know if it was done on purpose or not. I'm sure it was at some point. Like I don't think it was. I probably wasn't, but there was a character named Ashley in the script. Ah, okay. He read read the character of Ashley. Uh, And at a certain point in the script, someone called. They keep calling him Ash. So he read that part, and we all read it. Apparently, that's the way he works, where he sits down, and we all took different parts, and we read it out loud, and we ask questions, because wow. there's no better way to really figure out what's working, what's not working, specifically dialogue. Like, you know when dialogue's not working, when it comes out someone's mouth, and they just keep tr- tripping over the same you know, syllables or what have you. You just go, okay, that needs to be fixed. Yeah. So we did that as a session. But then you know, he, got it. Stat- I mean, he, would, he really got he really got yeah, into it, it too. Uh, I mean, he got into it. Into it like, yeah. And Brian and I just look. I mean, he was on the phone. We were actually at the Gunpowder and Sky production office with Debbie was there and the rest of the producer. Sam was on the phone because he was out of country at the time. But okay. it was like we Brian and I just looking at each other when you know when Sam Raimi is reading the lines that you wrote. Like yeah. it, it's it was a pinch. It was definitely a pinch me moment. But he got really into it. Uh, I can tell you this, you know. I learned so much in just that one, you know, two hour writing session, reading session, whatever you want to call it. He asked some of the be- the greatest kind of from script through production to final product notes, thoughts or questions that I've, we've ever gotten before. Wow. Just like somebody who knows from script through production to final product, what it's going to look like has gone through every imaginable, you know, moment in that process and just know what he's doing yeah. so he yeah. just asked i can't even tell you what the question was but he asked a bunch of 20 questions about it and brian and i were just like that's a good question like story questions yeah just who does this character what does this character know so why is this character at this point can this character be over here just stuff like that very simple stuff but obviously he's been doing it for a while oh yeah so it, yeah so but any so after that the next time we had a, you know so it was staggered because you went up in different you know, an episode would go up, they would film, and then an episode would come behind them. Mm-hmm. People would stay behind. In Vancouver. We shot in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We shot in Vancouver. So he would stay behind and do post, and then, you know, you'd be there for a certain amount of time, then you'd come back home. So we didn't overlap with our shooting, because we were shot number six in the of the nine. We did yeah. number six. But he came up for, like, a mini rap, and we all went to this bar that everybody goes to. Um, uh, it's a hotel bar that everyone goes to when you're shooting in Vancouver called The Sutton. We'd never been first time in Vancouver. And everyone's like, so Sam's coming tonight. And he came over uh-huh. and everyone, you know, it was just, it was a gathering of, of just nerd horror genre filmmakers. And we all kind of circled him. And the coolest thing <laughs> we can say about the guy is that he's been in the business since, when did when did Evil Dead come out? 81? 80, 80? 80, I think 81, 82, 83. So... He's forty years. He was the biggest, biggest film geek of them all. Like, ah, really? like he just gets excited when he talks about it. He got excited for us, ah. and he doesn't. Frankly, he doesn't. What does he care? I mean, you know, what I mean, like his name yep. is on it, but but he was so excited for us. Like we would bring him stills from our, and he would <laughs> just geek out and gets so. Um, I think we more than anything, that's just who he is. He's he's obviously a very he's just very passionate about genre film. You yeah. have to be to continue to make it forty years down the road. 
Um, so it just showed us like it's okay to be uh, just fall in love with it, and it's okay. It's not. It is yeah. a business, and I'm sure he's an amazing businessman. But he just he was just very he was very much just in love with the genre, and he just was happy for us. Yeah. And we just all circled him and and just took shots and just picked his brain. And and more than anything, he was just one of the. I mean, there were females there, but he was one of the guys. Yeah, one of the in guys. In the sense no. that he just he made himself very much like one of us, as we talked about not just our movies, but other other people's movies, as yeah. we just had conversations about different people's films. He's so, one of yeah. those. He's one of those few people that's like the legend that's still left. You know, from mm -hmm. Romero. I mean, Carpenter and him and and a few others. But you know, we've lost Craven and and Romero and 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 Toby Hooper and. So it's absolutely. like it, it's I, it's glorious absolutely. to be able to work with them. I it's you it's a great that's a great point because um obviously Carpenter's still here, but it seems like he doesn't have his I don't yeah, know if he has his not, interest. He's making music now. He's, he's done. Music. He, yeah. But he but he was very influential. I mean, he was so influential on our stuff as well. I mean yeah. he just spanned different genres, but it was also unabashedly a genre, but it was within different <clears throat> genres. It was it yeah. was it was action adventure, it was science fiction, it was horror, but yeah, I, he's someone I would definitely love to see turn something out new, but I don't know if that interest is there. But oh, yeah, I don't um, know if that's going to happen. I, I, I don't know. Hopefully, I, I, I got to be on a on a, a reality show pilot with uh, it was like a filmmaker competition, and I don't know if I mentioned this in one of the past episodes, but uh, it was with Wes Craven. He was like the the host of the show, and I was a filmmaker on the show, and it was mm. probably about six eight months before he died, and. And I got to see, and so we made a film with him, you know, in and out, uh, kind of giving us advice. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then he watched our five, six minute movie after the week or, you know, a few days that we shot it and edited and everything. And then he spent an hour talking about a five minute movie, you know, so it's that same thing. Like a master knows exactly what to, how to process everything and how to be able to pinpoint all the issues that are in it. Just, and, and it's just like they train their, their minds to, to see every single frame, to see every single element, because that's what, you know, we've, we've all do. You guys are getting that practice too. Like uh, the more you see your mm -hmm. film in, in the editing, in, in post-production, in the audio booth, you, you're able to like, you're training mm -hmm. your minds, right? Like this is your, now it's your third movie technically, mm -hmm. but yeah, you guys have done sure. two features. Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel that you're, you're, you're gaining that, that, uh, that knowledge to be able to, you know, like training the mind. This is by far the best filmmaking experience we've ever had in terms of like a team around us. But just it was funny because when we were, went up, we were up there. There was a there was a, it's it's a television series, but it was built like many movies. So we had they had alternating crews, alternating DPs, alternating you know art directors, but one production designer, and they okay. were juggling different things. But when we got up there, I think the thing we kept hearing from everybody is that we just had a very specific idea of what we wanted. And when we got there, everyone we could kind of see people kind of looking because you land and it's boom. We had eight days of prep for a five day shoot. Right to production yeah. office, like meeting, it's meeting, just, meeting, meeting, like, meeting, meeting, yeah. meeting, meeting, meeting. Meeting, meeting, meeting until you go. Great, and of man. course, that's like it's when you're doing something you love, you're like, give me more. Like, yeah, do it. <laughs> we, we could do production meetings until we're until until three in the morning. But the one thing we kept hearing was everybody's just kind of looking at each other like, wow, they guys know exactly what they want. Yeah, I, I think more than anything, it's because like we have a really good sense of like, no, this is the way it's going to be, and it doesn't mean we're right. It just knows, means we know what we want, and I think that's probably the biggest jump from the last few films to this one is just like having a very clear idea of what it is we want to we want to get across. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way you want. It yeah. doesn't mean it's right, whatever right means. But yeah. um, 
just a, a level of confidence. And I think everyone kind of fed off that confidence. We saw, we kept seeing the producers around that were there to kind of watch us and make sure that we knew, mm-hmm. you know, they just kept, we're just kind of like, okay. Yeah. They just, it's like, I think, we'd, yeah. We do a take or whatever. And they'd be like, uh, like a couple takes of something and just be like, we're like, okay, we can move on. And they're like, you, you guys sure you think you got that? We're like, yeah, we got it. We know we're, we know exactly. Yeah. In our mind. Yeah, exactly. Like, what, bit, what little snippet of that we're going to use in the edit. Like we know exactly what we needed to get from that shot. And, you, and we got and it. You got, and you, yeah, you've been doing this a while together. Like, I, I met Brian probably, fuck, dude, it must have been 12, 14 years ago through our friend Tommy oh, wow. Bernard. Exactly. And uh, I DP'd a five minute short, yes. uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yes. And yeah, right. uh, uh, that right. you did, it called yeah. The Box. Yeah. Um, the box. And then, and then uh, you know, years later, you guys are, you know, 20, like early 2000, 2010s, you guys yeah, are doing this movie that. delivery and it's, you know, found footage. And I'm like, fuck, dude, yeah, this, that's cool. That's cool. And then I saw it. Saw it twice. I think I saw it twice in the theaters because I did different film festivals. And the ending of that movie is fucking phenomenal. Uh, but then you take a you take a big jump from like a found footage style to uh, to intruders and that Adam uh, directed. And so you, and you guys have been trading off. I have so many questions with you guys, but I, we're gonna <laughs> we'll have eventually have to move on. But um, yeah, uh, so but it's a big jump. I'm sure that now you guys are continually to take taking these big leaps from movie to movie, going boom boom like here's here's a sam raimi fucking produced one well, you know yeah you, you the production yeah. design everything you guys had probably right at least yeah that this is by far the biggest thing we've done even though it's you know only 24 minutes um, yeah. we you know we landed we landed we had kind of an expectation you got sam raimi's name on it you, you expect some sort of professionalism like and you landed and it was like it, it blew our mind either way like you we were prepared for it but it still blew our mind like wow you walk in and to see the things that the production design team which i could sing their praises until next week the product what the production design team was able to accomplish because like brian was saying earlier it was literally like mini movies so there was it's not like a normal tv show where you're like oh you can save that set and you can use reuse that or reframe it this way and it was everything was brand new like nothing was reused they just like everything was new uh, um, they moved mountains and made miracles happen. Like, and what, what was able to, we were able to get on screen in our episode and all the other episodes. It's mind boggling. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing, but you land and, lot, and it was and and a lot yeah, of that. And a lot of that's because when you're in Vancouver, a lot of that is television production. So television production, you can work on Supergirl for six seasons and you're mm-hmm. basically recreating a lot of the same type stuff. So what we found is that a lot of the department heads up there, they were like, we were seeking this out because we knew, obviously, A, it had Sam Raimi's name on it, but B, every episode would be, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're props, if you're a production designer, if you're a DP, if you're costumes, you want to put your stamp on something. Like everyone, you're the master of your domain, and that is what you carry from project to project is look at yep. what I put on this person. So what we found is that people were just clamoring to get on this because they realized, whereas if you were on a television show for this, for six seasons, three seasons, ten seasons, you're creating largely the same look and feel. And that's great because it's it's work, right? And, and yeah. if you love it, great. But here you got to really show off. So so people were so enthusiastic. And what we uh, kept hearing, particularly when we got to our episode, everyone would kind of be like, we've kind of been looking forward to this episode because it really tested them. Not that, uh, it was our, not that our story was any better than anyone else's. It just was so much bigger and so much, um, it, it, the scope of it really tested people. It tested uh, their production design because a lot of it was 
practical locations. And so they yeah. had to go into buildings and like, all right, okay, we have to really make this look and feel a particular way. Our RDP, when you see it, he did he did some amazing, a lot of, that's why we say don't go to the trailer because a lot of our stuff yeah. is in the trailer. Okay. So don't, go, so don't go see the trailer because he's just, he just did a great job and he was someone we would use again in a heartbeat. Um, costume design. Costume design people, like she would come up to us, our head costume designer was like, there's a character in the film, you'll see it when you know it. She has two pigtails. Her name is Pigtails. And so she keeps, yeah, our costume designer would keep bugging us like, I want to be Pigtails. And so she was, she was kind of <laughs> uh, inhabiting this character. And, and that level of passion shows in the work. Yeah, like if, it's one yeah. thing if you just punch a clock, you come in, you punch a clock, you leave, you're done. It's another mm -hmm. thing if you come in and you're just like, I love this character. I want to bring some of me to it. And that's, and that's the key thing, to inspire the people with the script, with your passion, to inspire mm -hmm. everyone. That's what makes a great director, right? Is that, you know, that's, that's, that's the key. That's the key. It, yeah. it is the key. And, 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 and I can only say that I think they had that before we got there, not diminishing us as directors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because but, we were, the one thing they loved is we were very collaborative because we're like, look, we've given you the words. Show us what you got. Yeah. Doesn't mean we're going to yeah. go with it, but show us what you got. We're going to take the... Yeah. We'll take the best idea, you know what I mean? We're going to take the best idea that makes sense for the movie because that makes the best movie. And uh, people were brought us ideas all the time. I mean, it, they had created their own mythologies in regards to the costume, you know, costumes specifically. Mm -hmm. She came in with this whole mythology of something, and some of that stuff we actually adopted. We took little pieces of it, and we were like, oh, yeah, this actually is really cool. We hadn't thought about that and added it, kind of added a little piece to it. Um, and it, you just see that stuff. You feel that stuff on the screen. Yeah. Um, when everybody cares that much about it, like Brian you was need, saying, you, know, you just punch people, a clock. You, you know? need people to give a shit as much as you or more because it's so hard. It's oh, such yeah. grueling work. And yeah. it's very easy to just come in and do what's needed of you and, and nothing more and then just move on. But yeah, but even if you're making good money, you could be really bored and just hate. You could be making good money, decent art but not really having the passion for it. And sure. so you need something, you know, like especially if it's a TV show that's like a monotonous thing, mm -hmm. like a talk show or mm -hmm. a game show, mm -hmm. which I, I've worked on those, and I could see the people getting bored with with their lives, and they're making fucking great money. They're sure. buying houses and sure. shit. They buy apartment buildings, whatever. Sure. Sure. And it's like, yeah, it ju it's just... And these kind of projects is what really, uh, yeah, really inspires people to, to give their all. You, see, you know, you, you want a challenge. You, you you want to challenge you, and it, I think it's also a reminder of why you got into the business because exactly, yeah. it's again it's only for just it'll be for a split second because Quibi will come and this show will come and we'll be a couple of seasons and ten years down the road they still got to feed their family but they can yep. look back and go I really was proud of this particular I made that cool thing yeah I mean, this this whole this whole show we kept saying when we were there it was almost like a film festival um. I know we're talking about festivals today, whatever. It was like a, yeah, we're yeah, about like to, little, yep. I, I'm a little segue here, but it, it was like a, we call it a film festival for people that were making films because yeah. we kind of overlapped with some of the other filmmakers who have now become our friends, Ryan Spindell, Yoko Akamura, you know, Alejandro, we already talked about. Yep. And we hung out, we got to hang out. Like we came at different stages of, of making our movies. So, yeah. you know, somebody was there. We they gave us advice before they left and we were giving uh, advice to other people as it was happening and everybody was so excited and has been and we've kept these relationships going and been are so excited for each other to like, yeah, make that the best thing you could possibly make it and offering little bits of advice and here and there. And it was literally like a film festival for people making movies. And when we left, you know, they a lot of the producers were asking us 
if we go into second season and what have you, what little takeaways would you would you tell us worked and what didn't kind of a thing? And the biggest thing we said is keep it the same way where you can have all the filmmakers in the same place. We all kind of lived in the same building and have a lot of the filmmakers overlap in time, prep and production yeah. and post and allow them to collaborate in that way and just hang out and have some beers and talk about the process because you pull little tidbits of like advice and thoughts and ooh, be prepared or this this crew member, make sure you da 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 with this person. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, get them on your side. You want to get them on yeah. your side. And we'll show man. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it, well, it, it works. I can't. I can't wait to see Great Cloud Island, the fifty stages, states of fright. I keep wanting to say stages of fright. Fifty states <laughs> of fright. Uh, let's bring in uh, Heidi and Miguel for our next stage of uh, next state of our podcast day. So uh, <laughs> let's pause for a second, and uh, we'll bring them in. It is time to welcome our next guests. Uh, first off, we have film journalist, programmers who specializes in genre films. She's written for Bloody Disgusting, Fangoria, Famous Monsters, and Program the Nightfall section of the L.A. Film Festival. She also founded the short genre film festival, Etheria Film Night, and it's for women directors. She is currently the VP of short form and episodic content for the Horror Collective, and her favorite horror movie is Frankenstein's Army. Welcome, Heidi Honeycutt. <laughs> Woo! Yay! Yeah. You, can, you can boo or cheer, whatever you want. Yay! Uh, we also have who I have dubbed the king of horror in San Diego, the founder okay. and executive horror executive horror the executive director of the horrible imaginings film festival i've had a few beers i don't give a shit he is also a film curator and a programmer for the san diego latino film festival the film geek san diego digital film cinema digital gym cinema and the museum of photographic arts his favorite horror movie is godzilla welcome miguel rodriguez hi thanks all that right, resounding applause. Thank you. Yeah, so so we have Miguel and Heidi on the film festival side. We have Adam and Brian on the filmmaker side. We're gonna have a healthy conversation on the ins and outs of of, of bettering uh, the world uh, through each other's perspectives. So uh, we're gonna start with Adam and Brian uh, and about your film festival experiences as filmmakers. Let's say you've just finished your film. Now what do you do with it? You have a tight submission budget. How do you choose which festivals to submit to? It's two different. I mean, our first two films were, were very different experiences. Our first film was self-funded, very small grassroots. So for us, it was a matter of getting it anywhere that we can get it seen. So it was a matter of where's the timeline. And I, and I think that's interesting because I do know a lot of filmmakers that plan their production schedule around what was going to be, um, what the deadlines were going to be at the time. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that. We didn't have that ability. We just we just made the film when we could make it. And of course, our post production, we basically funded it as we could. So you know, we just would, we would be finished when we were finished. And yep. so we actually ended up coming around the period where LA Film Fest was the time when we were finished with our with our film. Actually, could submit it because obviously yep. you can submit works in progress. But I think we've all seen works in progress films, and it's and it's you do what you can in terms of. Uh, just understanding like, okay, well, this visual effect isn't finished or this voiceover isn't finished, but it's really a, a, an unfinished film is a tough watch at times. So for our first film, Ella Film Fest, um, we submitted it and it was as close to finished as we could possibly get it. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate enough to get in. And so for us, that was a huge win because our first film was a $45,000 film. 
Yeah. And, you know, even when we submitted it, it wasn't a hundred percent done, but it was, it was ready enough to the place to the point where we could get it seen. Um, yeah. Our second film was a little bit larger. It was a film that was had, had more producers and, and more recognizable stars. The, the trick we had with that one was that some of our producers initially didn't, they, they weren't as welcome to the idea of film festivals because I think they saw mm -hmm. it as something that might go straight to buyers or to studios. Yeah. And so it was very late in the game when, mm -hmm. when they finally allowed us, because we had such a great experience in our first film, with film festivals. I mean, mm -hmm. film festivals for us, um, LA Film Fest, you know, New Orleans Film Fest, Sigis, we played at about 15 or 16 festivals across the world. And so we had such a great experience. We kept telling them that it was an incredible way to get a small film out to people. Yes. But I think initially their thought was, okay, well, this might be something that is a bit larger than that. And it wasn't until late in the game when they said, okay, start submitting. By that yeah. time, we had already passed a lot of deadlines. And so... Uh. I believe we submitted to, I, uh, I want to say Tribeca, where so the final cut from what we told mm. you, you never know what these things, didn't get in. But then we came back to LA Film Festival because by that point we passed a lot of other film festivals. Once you yep. hit a certain, once you hit May, there's really nothing until June, which was, yeah, film, which was LA yeah. Film Festival at that point. And so at that point, they were like, oh, alumni. We were two years removed from our first film. And they were excited to have us. We were excited to go back. Wow. And um, it was great to go back and, 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 and premiere something a little bit larger. And then yeah, that's, there, we went that's, to a, a number of other film festivals. And that's the tricky thing with like, okay, it's your first film. You've self-funded it. But then mm -hmm. uh, maybe your second film or uh, your third film. You, you might have some producers that have, they have a plan for it and it's a sales yes. plan or the financiers have yes. a sales plan yes. and there's, and, and, and spending the money to travel the, the actors and the director or any, and putting them up in hotels around the world or whatever is sure. not in the budget. And so that's kind of something they're like, you know what, we already have a distribution plan for this. So sure. let's not take it to a film festival, but uh, you know, it's, it's always nice when, as a as a director, you can actually you know it may not go to a, a theaters, so you can actually sit in a theater and see mm -hmm. your work and have the team sit and just sit there and soak in the glory of what you guys did with a, with, a, with an audience. And I think for our second film, because we a lot of the producers we had, which were by the way phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. producers, but they worked on films far larger than the, the budget of our film. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of they were viewing it as okay, well. Our goal is to screen it for buyers in whatever setting that might be, and then try to get some sort of, at that point, there was, the Blumhouse model was very big mm -hmm. in the sense of an, an acquisition that would then go to X number of thousands of theaters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but ours, our thought was, well, we really believe in the film, not that they didn't, but let's get it out to a Sundance, let's get it out to a Tribeca, let's get it out to a Berlin, whatever. And that, there was resistance to that initially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that didn't yeah. come until later. But by that time, we had, we had already passed Sundance. We had passed yeah, they, they might already have a salesperson that, or, or, or an, a distribution that doesn't sure. want it seen because they don't want sure. it, you know. But, and there's a lot of, and, and for, you know, we always joke, our second film had eight cast members and, and twice as many producers. So there's a lot <laughs> of different, there's a lot of different um, point of views and, 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 and thought processes that go behind it. Not, not, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just a matter of, how do we protect our investment? How do we get it to the most people as possible? 
How yeah. do we make sure that the most people get to see it down the road? Even if down the road is not as many people as initially, it's mm -hmm. like, let's get it to a distributor that's going to get it to the most people. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a different thing. Producers are paying, pay, are about paying <laughs> people, people who are yeah. going to pay to see the movie as opposed to, you know, uh, the small ticket price for a film festival here or there, you know, as yeah. a filmmaker, you want an audience to see it. You don't like, yeah. at least in our experience, I don't care if they're buying a ticket or they were given a ticket or they want a ticket or what have it is. I want them sitting in a seat, watching it on a big screen, the mm -hmm. way it was meant to be seen. Yeah. So that's kind of the opposing, the opposing views that you have as the filmmaker and the producer, if you're not one and the, the same. The art versus um, commerce. Mm -hmm. Star versus commerce. It's always, and, yeah. And, and our bad. first, to rewind a bit to our first film, Adam and I split that film 50-50. We're the, we're the owners of that film, he and I yes. outright. And so um, a lot of times being the outright owners of a small film of that size doesn't amount to much. But mm -hmm. <laughs> at least in our, at least in our instance, what it amounted to was control. Yeah. Because at that point we got to, once we eventually did premiere at LA Film Fest, and we sold out of that film festival, we were not only given control of the festival it, it, it <clears throat> premiere at, but also control of what would happen to it beyond that. So we always consider that an amazing film education because a lot of times as a director for hire, you, are, you, you lose make your, your power. Film, you lose mm -hmm. your power. You make your yeah. film and it's like, congratulations, we'll let you know where it sells and then we'll let you know when it's coming out. Yeah. But for us, we were in, in, involved in all of the sales calls with our XYZ sold our film. So they had to call us when they were, when they were fielding offers and what mm. those offers entailed, mm. what that would mean in terms of screens or in our case, VOD and a couple of screens. And then ultimately artwork, once we got to, once we found our distributors, that was an amazing education for us because I think a lot of filmmakers want that level of, of, of in, you know, inclusivity and input but they're just not giving it because frankly their opinion isn't as relevant. Yeah. So um, just rewinding to our first film, we, we were very fortunate that we were able to premiere at a festival that was so filmmaker friendly. And then B, we were able to be involved in those conversations when it was sold. And then in the yeah. end, once, once it was marketed. And then again, as we, at, at the end of the day, we still own that film 50, 50. So yeah. whatever life it has moving forward, um, we're always going to be involved in that. Yeah, so so Heidi and Miguel, like, what 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 makes a a, a good a film programmable for you guys? Let's start with let's start with Heidi uh, with Etheria, uh, and, and you program other f festivals. You know, what yeah. is it about a film that really makes you uh, get your passion behind it? Sure, um, and I think this might be where some of that um, financiers where their kind of their their disdain for film festivals might come from, because my <laughs> first thought is always. What does the audience want to see? So the people that are actually sitting in the seats, um, what are they gonna like? What are they not gonna like? Um, and usually that gels with my personal preferences because I'm, you know, started a festival that um, so that I could show stuff I liked. And then the people that would go, like, oh, they like what I like, which is great, because that's that's what we're doing here. Um, with something like LA Film Festival, um, so when I was there. I wasn't there when your film was there, mm. but I was in charge of the nightfall section, um, which I'm assuming your film probably played in. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so for that, that was um, a little different in that there were definitely films I wanted to show, um, but there was a, because it's a larger film festival, there's a bigger committee. Um, 
there are there were dozens of programmers um, for all the different sections and it was a lot harder to get through films that i thought that were very right for the audience and um there was a lot of pressure to um and i can say this because now because i can't get fired because the festival's <laughs> done there was a lot of pressure to show certain films from certain filmmakers um or films that had certain people in them over films that i would just pick because i thought they were really good um that being said, I'm, I mean, I'm very proud of the films that we did show, and I think that we ended up with this really good stuff. Like, I'd never say that I wasn't, you know, down with what we showed. But I think it depends, again, it's almost a strange parallel um, that, you know, the more control I have over my festival and my programming um, versus the larger the festival, the less control the programmer seems to actually have over what's happening and what's, what's under their name as a programmer. Like, this got shown but why and you might know the reason why and it might not be um you know the reason people think so it's, i don't know if that answered the question yeah. at all it's um, very it, it's very similar to what people would consider the studio system with independent filmmaking as opposed to yeah. studio filmmaking when you have a studio film there's more money involved there's more voices there's more yeah. cooks in the kitchen uh and there's you know you, there's a lot of times people you know fans of films and what have you go oh why why did the filmmaker choose to do this? Well, the filmmaker most likely didn't have any opinion yeah. on that. It was chosen for them specifically out of their hands. Nothing they can do about it, but their names on it. So they get, you know, yeah. it's, I, I would imagine it's very similar in, in that way. Yeah. So, so Miguel, what's your, your main criteria when you're, you're booking a film? Like, what do you look for? Like, what is it? So, I mean, this is a, an awesome question because it's also really hard to answer. Yeah. Um, everything goes back to the objective, no matter what we're talking about. Of course, so just, yeah. uh, we could talk about what Adam and Brian were talking about with, you know, ultimately what's their objective when they want to go to a film festival. If the film gets sold and goes straight to VOD, they are missing out on the experience of an entire audience gasping mm -hmm. at a scene they put together in unison. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't get that, then, you know, ultimately, like, what's kind of the, the point of what the story is that they're trying to tell. Um, that's one of the things that a film festival can offer because mm -hmm. if they were to try to four-wall that themselves, they're looking at thousands of dollars for a single screening as opposed to whatever the strategy is for um, submission fees. Mm -hmm. So all of that is to go to, like, what's the goal? What's the objective? So for my film festival that I founded, Horrible Imaginings, um, my goal was kind of multifaceted. So I've had um, film festival experience for a long time uh, in a variety of um, positions from programming to volunteering to making sure data entry, um, mm -hmm. collecting uh, reels of 35 millimeter film and making sure it's logged and then kept track of. Uh, so I have a lot of experience in a lot of different festivals. Most of them kind of these bigger tier festivals that don't really have a, a clear focus. Like for example, Maryland Film Festival. Like mm -hmm. what kind of movie does Maryland Film Festival show or LA Film Festival for that matter? It's a little nebulous, right? It, I mean, a lot of times it's like, ooh, what are the new kind of like hot indies that are coming out? Uh, what is a big one that we can show to drive traffic? Um, who can we get on the red carpet? And, and so it's kind of a really different experience 
than say a uh, a genre film festival like mm-hmm. like or, like what I want to do with horrible imaginings. When I started it, it was because there wasn't a horror film festival in San Diego, which is where we were at the time. Uh, we've been this will be our eleventh year. And mm-hmm. there were a lot of things I was putting into the creation of the film festival. One is um, if you talk to normal people, uh, civilians, if you will, um, <laughs> who don't go to film festivals, uh, it is really interesting how many of people in that segment of the population don't realize that a film festival is even something that they can go to. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of mystique that it is an industry only event that it's that it's kind of ostracizing or elitist um, so I wanted to combat that and uh and kind of like blend the filmmaker segment with the audience segment a little bit and break down that wall to some degree, not completely but to some degree, so that the conversation is open more. I wanted an audience who really felt in a sincere way that they were part of the ecosystem because they are. If if I make, if if you make a film and it has no audience or you have no way to access the audience and connect with them, then I don't see any worth in your storytelling. Uh, That's really my view on things. Um, It's a two way street. The filmmaker is mm-hmm. half of the conversation. The audience is the other half. Okay. Um, so that being said, I am looking for films that generate that conversation. Uh, my definition of what constitutes horror for my own purposes is very, very broad. Mm-hmm. So um, even to like make the conversations easier, I don't even call us really a horror film festival anymore. I say we uh, showcase films that express fear or anxiety. Um, so that starts to outreach more things because really more of, of, um, of what I'm looking for. I honestly, if I see like sleepaway camp or anthropophagus or <laughs> the witch or apocalypse now, all mm-hmm. of those films are kind of appealing to like this primal yes. darkness in me mm-hmm. that are, um, you know, that are healing in some way, despite yep. that, uh, it's going through the grinder, but coming out the other end kind mm-hmm. of um, healed in some capacity. I think yeah. a lot of us can agree with that. Um, and it, it's that that I'm really trying to get. And when you can get that experience with a group of people and then have the opportunity to kind of like talk about it afterward, um, there's nothing better. And mm-hmm. I started film festivals because I wanted to share movies. So that's literally it. You know, what excites me. And so when we're, when I'm watching movies and I'm sure that all of you can attest to this, but certainly Heidi, uh, last year we got like, I think 1400 submissions. Wow. Uh, I have a team of 11, so thank God. But, um, (laughs) if you're like, okay, I'm scheduling this day, I'm going to watch like 25 film or whatever. Yeah, it can be really exhausting. Yeah, and yeah. you have to like really take breaks, or else you're not giving those films proper attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you'll put something in, and you're like, okay, one more, and you'll feel like you're at the end. You're like, if I do anything else, it's not going to be fair to the filmmaker. 
but then your eyes will shoot open and pop out of your head. You're like, holy fuck. I can't wait to see what people think about this. That goes to the top of the list. So like there are things that will excite you on a visceral and, and uh, real, I know this isn't helpful for filmmakers probably because it's not really specific, (laughs) but in a way that is sincere, that, um, that it will, that that's really what makes things pickable. And uh, to close this, because I know I've been talking a long time, <laughs> I will say that when I talk to my programmers, I have programmers all over the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, most of them are filmmakers themselves or actors or, um, or critics. Our first thing that we do is I ask them, um, give me the films that stood out. They're not allowed to go through their list. They're not allowed to like uh, uh, scroll through Film Freeway. What's off the top of their head? What's off the top of their heads? What's stuck? Because they saw a hundred things. Yeah. But if something's stuck, there's got to be a reason why. So that's just a conversation starter. I'm not going to say that that's what's going to be, but it's a conversation starter. You know what yeah, that so, reminds me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's all I you was going to say, it reminds me of, so I know that you guys have pitched, right? You've gone into the office and pitched the thing and have it, and it's, it's horrible. It's the most horrible experience ever. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that, Miguel. But one day, I, so I, had, I was pitching a thing, because um, I tried to do that too. And the person, you know, said, no, I'm sorry, we're not interested. And I was like, well, what are you interested in? What do you want? And they said, I don't know, but well, I'll know it when I see it. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and it's, but it's exactly what I would say if somebody asked me, like, well, what, what special about, I, you know, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. something's just really fucking good and it's hard to exactly explain why. Um, usually it's a perfect storm of talent from all the important directions. I mean, including your cinematographer and, your, you know, the mm-hmm. person in charge of the lighting and the actor and the, you know, some directors are great with, um, action, but they're terrible with actors, and sometimes they're great with all of it, and sometimes it just goes bad. And you're like, "Oh my god, perfect storm!" I knew it. I saw it, and I knew it. And so I feel bad um, talking shit about that executive um, for so many years after I pitched, but I think that I get what they were saying now. So yeah, so so Brian and Adam, like, what uh, when it comes to a, a festival experience? And maybe we'll hear from each of you on 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 a good and a bad. Uh, Brian, you give the good. Uh, Adam, you give the bad on like what? What has been some of the like? What do film festivals do to really nurture a, a, and harness like a beautiful relationship with the filmmakers? Brian, you're going to do this, and then Adam, we're going to go with you. Uh, with what is it about a film festival that just doesn't click and doesn't work at all? So, Brian, go for it. Well, I'll, I'll just say I have the easier side of this because yeah, I know <laughs> what the. <laughs> <laughs> We've had very good experiences with film festivals, fortunately. Um, I think the film festivals that stuck out to us, obviously LA Film Fest was where both of our films premiered. Yeah. So particularly LA Film Festival, um, our first film, Delivery, I mean, they have a filmmaker's retreat, which I guess is very unique to them. And Mm. for hours we went to Skywalker Ranch. Oh. And um, I mean, that's all you need. But in yeah. addition to that, the filmmakers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the filmmakers there that particular year were Ryan Coogler, who's going mm. to do a little film called Black Panther. Yeah. Daniel Destin Creighton, who, if you've seen Short Term 12, is an amazing film. Yeah. 
Shang-Chi now. From San Diego. From San Diego. The, yeah. a, a brilliant guy. Who got, a guy I probably got to know the best of all my of people I've met there at that festival. Brilliant, sweet man. Um, Ava DuVernay was there with a documentary on wow. Serena Williams. So you get to meet people like that. And I think that film festival in particular was very big about getting people together and it's very director centric and just kind of yes. like letting you sit down and listen to, since we're talking horror, because we're all horror filmmakers at a, at a kind of a mixer gatherer, I ended up speaking with a guy who had a film there that starred Danny Houston. I can't remember the name of the film, but we were there talking for maybe 30 minutes and someone just general, just talking. And he, he's obviously, he's an, he's, he was a, a few years older than me and he's been around a bit more. And so, um, someone came up to us and was like, do you know who this, do you know who this guy is? I'm like, I, I really don't. He directed Candyman. And so Candyman for me is, is one of my favorite horror films of all time. Yeah, I had wow. no clue. Uh, so then I so. gushed, gushed to him for 10 minutes about what Candyman was and what it meant to me and why it's such a brilliant film. And I watched it recently after the trailer release. So that's what film, film festivals I think do best <laughs> yeah. is they bring people together from different, and not always this, but sometimes from different points in their careers. Yeah. And it allows you to just pick each other's brains and, and you're just kind of um, just a, amongst creativity. And that was, the, that was our first film festival, but also the, film, the festival in which I got, I just sought out programmers because mm. you, you're just so curious and you're like, so how does it work? And, and I think the thing I got most from people was what you said, Heidi. It's, it's like that old famous, it's that famous Supreme Court ruling where they're just like, I don't know what pornography is, but I know it. Yes. Yeah. So it's, I don't know what, I don't know what good is because, because good is so, it's, it's so subjective, yeah. but I know what's something, when something sticks with me. And so this will lead to a larger question, which I would love to get to you guys to ask, to ask of you guys later, which is, um, is it, is it a film that sticks with you or is it a film that you find is is well made because there's two different mm -hmm. things right yeah, you're yeah. very right and so yeah. I, I would I, I know that's a separate question but i would love to get that question because the reason i asked is because our first film has a very strong ending and yes in, i love in, the ending so when we it, it was a matter of getting to know the program as you're shaking hands you're meeting all these people at the end of the day and at after two days of spending with these different programmers finally you know we went up to san francisco flew to san francisco came back I was on the bus back at LAX and finally two of the programmers, we were on our, we were the last three people from a group of, a large group of people. And they kind of looked around and were like, nobody was around. They were like, holy cow, the ending of your movie. They had been <laughs> holding it for two days, but they yeah. couldn't uh, say it. Yeah. 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 It's, so, it's so rough. And so, it was so a matter of, it's a matter of like, um, the question you're always asking yourself is, are they looking for moments? Are they looking for things that get people talking? Are they looking for, recognizable actors yeah that's the thing i would love to ask you guys but it, it, to answer your question christian it was the it was the ability to kind of pick the brain of all these different filmmakers that have gone on to do amazing things or that will still go on to do amazing things yeah yeah and it's it's, it's the community the, it's community, the, community, of, it's the of, community and having a great like awesome talent around absolutely yeah. just and being in awe of everyone else's work and they're, and they're in awe of your work as well yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I've been to festivals where, I mean, a, a, a big, uh, and I'm moving on to Adam right now. So, a, a big issue that that everyone can have is that 
you go to a film festival and sometimes you might travel to a film festival and there's mm-hmm. just, there's no one there. That's the responsibility of a film festival is to get people yes. in the seats, Agreed. regardless of whether or not the film is good. So, uh, and you have people traveling from around the world and some, and from another state and they're just spending their last few dimes. And like, I've done that. Like I've gone to Florida, I've gone to, you know, Massachusetts and see, and gone to film festivals where I was like, Holy fuck. I will, I've stood outside from the film festival, first film festival I ever went to. I stood outside the film festival in Palm Beach, fucking Florida, and I knew no one was going to be in this film. It was the premiere of my movie, and this was in the mid-2000s, and I was like, I will pay you to come in and watch my movie. I will buy your fucking ticket right now. I just need an audience because I came all the way from L.A., (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And because it, it, it was their job to bring the people and they scheduled us at 11 fucking a.m. on a Friday oh, yeah, or something like that, work. you know? It's like, so how do you, how do you, you know? So, Adam, come on, it's your <laughs> turn. I, I, yeah. I know you guys, have, you guys have had massive success in your entire lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you guys are millionaires. Uh, yeah. you, you don't need to worry about <laughs> film festivals anymore. Okay, uh, signing off, been, Christian. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you've uh, never you've never played a bad film. No, you you had to have had some. You don't have to say names, but like, what is it about a film festival that really uh, doesn't work for you as a filmmaker? You know, attending uh, for, it and for the experience of it. You know, for me personally, is you know exactly what you guys have been talking about, which is you know the best parts of film festivals are bringing people together for conversations filmmake fostering that conversation amongst filmmakers um who have made their first film or their fifth film or what have you um for me the worst experiences i've had is when it gets like competitive it's like Mm -hmm. the competitive nature everybody wants like i've seen it a lot more recently within the last couple of years of like come to our festival you know we'll give you a really sweet trophy look at how cool our trophy looks like Mm -hmm. And I think that just misses the point of the whole thing at all. I hate that. Um, when, things, when things get, you know, it's cool. Put something on your shelf. But if it's from some film festival that doesn't mean anything and was around for six months, you know what I mean? It feels good when you're standing there, like, accepting it. And then next week, it means nothing. Um, so festivals, when, when it becomes competitive, like, I had a couple experiences. Luckily, I mean... You know, it, it is. I, I agree, Christian. It, it's up to the festival to kind of draw um, people to, to your screenings, but it's also up to the filmmakers. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they if if it's a larger fest- festival and they have, of course, yeah, you know, whatever they're showing seventy five films, they can only split their time up amongst you know and try to get people to come to this one and this one, and and everybody's not going to get the prime spot for for the thing because oh, they yeah. got you know you know the best experience we ever had was when our first film delivery again at LA film festival played right before the conjuring, literally it was like a sneak peek of the conjuring. It played right before the conjuring. Now 99.9% of the people in our screening were there to see the conjuring, which was happening two and a half hours later, but it was the best audience we ever had because people were just like, they sat down going, okay, I got to sit through this thing to see the conjuring. And they actually enjoyed the movie. They, they're surprising, but um, it, yeah, it's it's if they if if they kind of like they're not really bringing film fest filmmakers together, and they're kind of pitting them against each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, who's gonna win? Or they're giving out, you know, just random awards. Like, I understand you, you have to give you give out your awards yeah. for the best. Yeah. So people know. Awards you know, are fun still. Right. No matter awards what, are fun. Yeah, are it fun. Gives, but, it gives 
I hate them more than I hate cancer. Yeah, yeah, I get that's it, a different I get it. situation. Well, well no, I love <laughs> it more on that. I mean, do you feel the obligation to to create awards just for the sake of attracting? So I have this interest? fight with my team every year. Um, we didn't have awards the first couple of years, and I feel like we're catering to an expectation. But um, I view myself as an art curator, most first and foremost, and I view the awards as a just pissing over everything and so i i take myself out of the process i don't judge awards i don't present awards i take my it's the only time in the festival i'm like fuck this i'm off the stage i hate this uh, and i'm very open about that see yeah. i've won an award it. at your film festival before so I'm, I, I was happy to accept it and i still have it up <laughs> I'm on not, the wall I'm not saying, up there because yeah, it's very and, and pretty to be honest when people are happy and and when a film I really like, you know, takes something home, yeah, I know that there is a good feeling with that. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it, it is the competitive aspect that I really just despise. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's second to um, having to say no to a film I love, mm -hmm. which happens far oh, more yeah. frequently. Yes. Um, it is the thing I hate most about doing a film festival. That, can I the thing I hate most is writing the rejection letter for good stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. The one thing, because I, I know I love to hear you, Heidi. I was just going to say the one thing I will say about the thing when we when we sought out filmmakers and, and, and sorry, uh, programmers uh, from our first couple of film festivals. While you're at the film festival, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. I, while we were at our film festival. Yeah. And, and, and in one particular one, we, we went to the New Orleans Film Festival and we had met up with someone we had become friends with at the LA Film Fest. And we spent the weekend with her and she became the director there. But we just had a blast with her. The one thing we kept asking is like, so how does the process... And I think the one thing you have to remember, if you're someone who's never gotten into a film festival, but you've been submitting for a long time, Mm. Film programmers are film fans. Mm -hmm. They want to like everything. They yes. want to like your film. They likely have liked your film. It's just a matter of like, do we have 10 films that deal with PST, PTSD or 10 yes. that deal with yeah. abortion? Or, Huge. Yes. That's yeah. the yeah. thing that we were, oh, we, were, we would just constantly run up to the people that were like, oh, so-and-so loves your film. And so we would run up to them and be like, bow down and just like, you guys made the film. We just chose it. Calm down. But yeah. for, for someone that's always on the outside looking in, you're, you're always looking at it like, how did this happen? You're trying to figure out how to game the system, and there really is no way to game the system. Mm -hmm. It's about making something that's personal to you, something that you enjoy, and hopefully other people see that when they watch it. Yeah. But for, you know, sometimes, I brought up uh, you know, Short Term 12, a brilliant film mm -hmm. that did not get accepted into Sundance, but went to South by Southwest and swept all the awards. Maybe there were other films that played at Sundance that had similar topics. And it was yes. just a matter of if preference. And so uh -huh. I think I'll, I'll let you guys speak, but, but that was the one sure. thing I picked up from just picking the brains and becoming friends with programmers is realizing they want to love your film. And mm -hmm. yeah. it's, yeah. it's because you know they, what? not because I think, they don't love it. Think of it like this, like you're casting your film. Mm -hmm. You've got five roles. And let's say 10 people come in and audition and they're all brilliant. Yeah. What are you going to yeah. do? You're going to suddenly have 10 characters in your film or are you going to reject <laughs> five people? That's the same. It's the same exact dilemma. Mm -hmm. um, for, for people like us, um, running a film festival and curating the lineup and having the audience and making it all work and come together, that's our film. That's like we put the same time and creativity and energy and, and passion into that 
yep. that, that an artist does into making their artwork. Um, it's just a different, it's just a very different way that we're expressing our attempted creativity. Um, so, you know, it means a lot to us. It's really important to us. And the, the way the filmmakers feel and the way that the films come off and, you know, you want everything to come together perfectly, just like you would in the making of a film. And sometimes you you hit, sometimes you miss. But definitely, like for, let's say for Ethereum, my short showcase um, for women directors, we, we literally limit it to a, a feature film runtime. That's the entire runtime of the shorts that we show. So, and, and this year we're going a little, we're, it's about, let's say we go up to two hours. Um, however many films we can fit into that two hours, that's how many films we're showing. Yeah. And if we've got a couple 20 minute films that are brilliant, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna show them, that leaves less room for other stuff. Yeah, so less- inevitably, we always reject films that we really, really, really like. And it is sometimes, um, like you were saying, like, do, you know, we have two vampire films, can we show mm-hmm. a third? If it comes right down to it, which vampire film do we, we like this one just a tiny better? Or we like that actor better? Or we, you know, it can be that small. And then, and then Miguel was right. When you write these rejections, you know, I, most people are very gracious and they're like, hey, thanks for checking out my film. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, but every once in a while, every once in a while, you get a person who's very, very hurt. And I totally mm-hmm. get that because I've submitted like all kinds of screenplays and shit and never gets in. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah. But, so, but I'm on the other end of it too. So I know. Um, <laughs> And I feel bad because I feel like they think I think their film is bad or that this is somehow means something. And I, I really want those people to know that, no, I, my judgment just means that I liked it or that my judges liked it and it worked for our specific audience. Yeah, I mean, it's a good film or a bad film, you know? Um, well, it means it's a good film if it's in, that's for sure. But <laughs> it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's a bad film if it doesn't get in. And I, I'm not sure that that really comes off as sincere. I think people think that, no, it definitely doesn't. Yeah, they, they're like, well, if it was so good, why didn't you pick it? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Well, because I already yeah. had an alien film, and uh, I needed a foreign film because everything, everything, I needed a film that didn't have Diverse. a fucking white person in it. Because <laughs> Every, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you need to, and if you have all these good films and you can mix and match them and stick them in however you want, you know, you're gonna make choices like that. And what is what are some of the biggest issues you guys have had with like a bitter filmmaker that didn't get into your festival? Like everyone <laughs> has those bitter feelings. So like, what kind of venom have you seen, Miguel? All right. So I I, I want to <laughs> address some things that we have been talking about, but I will. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> the worst thing that we had um, from a bitter filmmaker is they sent an obvious mole to the festival to with who they were like walking around recording with their phone and stuff like that and trying to like accost the programmers and ask them stuff uh ultimately it's just kind of humorous because it the worst they got was annoying like that could have been a lot worse Mm uh but still i mean because it was a physical presence it was worse than just a vitriolic email Mm -hmm. the truth is the professional filmmakers who have the experience to handle a rejection outweigh the shitheads to such a degree like the problem is like the mean emails just because of human negativity bias just are louder and they hurt it hurts to read them Mm. um we did have one uh i'm not again i'm not gonna name names i will say that um 
some of the content of this letter was posted by another far larger film festival um, as a like what not to do if you're a filmmaker. Mm. Again, the person wasn't called out. It was just chunks of the letter of the email. Yeah, yeah. And it made me realize it's like, holy crap, they just form letter hated like all of the festivals that rejected them. Mm. Uh, but I mean, it was stuff like, your programmer's really fucked up this time. <laughs> all this time. <laughs> Sorry. Just yeah. like, yeah. oops, I guess. Oh, and then of course, like start starting to list all the awards they won. And so <laughs> having, hu- having humility is a, is a main key of like continuing a relationship with, with your festivals. Uh, you might get rejected, but you can at least start a conversation with them, mm-hmm. with, the, with the programmers, with the directors, at least continue a conversation. Say, hey, you know what? You guys didn't take this this time, but I'm going to try harder next time. Or maybe I might luck out next time. I know that we have shown stuff from people who we have rejected in the past. I'm sure yeah, Heidi yeah, has. Absolutely. Well. Um, yeah, that comes, that comes across. You know, the... One thing that I think Brian brought up was the uh, aspect of the alumnus or the alumni filmmakers. Yeah. That's definitely mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. It's not end all be all, yeah. but it, it is a thing and it should be a thing. Um, to some degree, the festival is there to foster growth. So it should be a thing. You know, I think that's what Fantasia does so well. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've fostered so many festi- uh, filmmakers because they genuinely have that family feeling down pat um yeah you're proud same. of them when you see they're oh yes. they made another one and this one's really great too yeah God, we're proud yeah. of these people yeah it's it, that it is a community of support um i should point out here uh for both me and heidi we both have programmed for much bigger film festivals um but in terms of uh, like etheria and horrible imaginings um there's a time limitation to our festivals. Yeah. I mean, Heidi brought up, you know, hers is a single night. Mine is essentially two and a half days. Um, so that definitely comes into play. That's one of my questions for you guys is like, yeah, just discuss uh, the time limitations. I'm like, okay, should I make a it's five brutal. minute or a 10 minute or a 12 minute or a 15 minute or a fucking 34 minute film? Like, <laughs> don't make a 34 minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that it can't be good. I no, mean, it can be I'm fantastic. sure that, you know, I've seen 34 minute films that are fantastic. It's just when you're programming, it's an, it's, it's really hard to fit everything in together. Like the little Tetris blocks that you need them to be. Yep. Um, I think, I think ideally for a short, you, you want to be under 20 minutes. If you have anything over 20 minutes, it's gotta be your credits. Um, because it's really hard to fit that in because what more than that. And you're like, it's coming at the expense of other time that other filmmakers would also be sharing. Um, and that's, that's a consideration. Um, I also think, uh, most filmmakers uh, with shorts, it's, it's harder to get distribution. Maybe not now that's changing, I think, but, um, traditionally it's harder to get distribution with a short. So I don't think that's been too much of a problem. But if you have, if you have a 50 minute feature, let's say that's a very awkward length because you're probably hoping for distribution and you're not going to get distribution for that. And the filmmaker or the the film programmer is going to not know where to program that. Um, we have a 50 yeah. minute submission this year. Yeah, I would yeah. say, be, I would say be safe, stay under 20 if it's a short. 
I think you can go pretty pretty short. If under ten, hard. if you, yeah, under yeah. ten is even better. Like under you, 10 is fantastic. you double your chances. Yeah, under if it's 10 between, if it's between like six and ten minutes, it's like yeah, exactly perfect. Like, if but it can be one minute if it works, and it can be twenty yeah, sure, if it yeah. works. Um, but you know, and then I think that's really lengthwise. That's really all I. Yeah, and Miguel, if I'm gonna be really honest brutally honest if i see that running time and it's 24 minutes yeah i do oh I yeah do, like i sigh i'm like oh fuck i um, i programmed i programmed at least three or four film festivals and i've slogged through hundreds of of submissions and yeah i understand that like you see a longer running time you're like and then the first 30 seconds is just so fucking like atrocious to sit through. Like, oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah. But I, yeah, go, go ahead, continue. Yeah, I'll go that far. But I mean, <laughs> it, it happens. But yeah, it happens. Yeah, you, you have to be diplomatic. Yeah, I will say, okay, this is the my biggest thing about longer form short films. Um, some of my favorites have been longer form, mm -hmm. but they are diamonds in the rough. They are very rare. They have to be exemplary if they're going to be 20 minutes or more, like egg fucking exemplary. Yeah. And um, uh, almost every time a film can be made better by trimming the fat. Yes. 100%. Almost every Almost it's really time. hard to see if you're close yes. to the project, but when when you see as many films by as many different people as we do, mm -hmm. you start to notice patterns, um, and that's why I think it's important for filmmakers to go to or at least watch other people's films as much as possible, including. Can I give an insane example? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my favorite example. To give. All right, I, I'm actually gonna name this one. There's this British thriller called Bunny that very few people talk about, even though I adore it. Um, I think I know this film. Yeah, Adam Ani directed it. Okay, and yeah. So yeah. he submitted a 30-minute version and a 15-minute version. And the 15-minute version went... All right, so Brian earlier asked about um, uh, uh, quality of technical aspects. Mm -hmm. Everything about this was beautifully rendered. The acting's wonderful. The cinematography's wonderful. The music was probably the best part of it. Um, but the 15 minute version was a really well-made, very conventional thriller. The 30 minute version blew my fucking mind. Mm. And we took the 30 minute version and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I want to tell you never submit the 15 minute version, only submit the 30 minute version, but I know wow. that will. And, but okay. I will say this, that will never happen again. I'm sure <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. is like a once in a lifetime. I, I've never had that happen again. So here's, I, I got to follow up on that. So when they submitted two different versions, did you receive both of them? Did yes. you watch them both back to back? I did. Okay. That's I it. did I've because I was like, what it. the shit is this? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't help myself. I was like, and I think I started with the fifth. I can't remember which one I started with. This is a few years back. But um, the thing about the longer version is it went some places that were far braver mm. and more intense. Mm -hmm. And the 15 minute version cut out all of the best parts yeah. and left it as kind of like a bad date scenario. Yeah, yeah. It was much more conventional. Like, so, um, so that, that kind of killed it. And, and it really comes down to, all right, 
if we're going to go back to the first part of this conversation about that ethereal, to use the ethereal term, uh, mm -hmm. or nebulous description of what makes a good film, this is still kind of nebulous, but I think it's a little more understandable. It's, it, it's sincerity. It's like, can I tell that this filmmaker had a purpose in making this film? Mm -hmm. They needed to tell this story. It wasn't like, huh, I want to make this because you can tell when someone is making their like grindhouse, you know, planet terror ripoff because yeah. they kind of want to follow on the footsteps of that. It's like, I'm doing my grindhouse 70s throwback movie. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen a million of them. <laughs> so many and, and it's like, there's no sincerity there. there no. I mean, I'm sure they sincerely love like shitty movies, yeah. like stuff like this, like mm -hmm. I do, but yeah. you can tell that it's not like I, my heart needs to tell this story. Um, yeah. it, and it's interesting you say that because not to cut you off, but I, I mean, yeah. our first film delivery is basically a found footage movie. Mm -hmm. And by that time, by the time our movie came out or was, was submitted to, like film fest it you know that's passe it was like mm. you know it, it was like people oh, yeah. were like oh everybody totally was making, everybody's like oh i can do a cheap movie i'm gonna make a found footage movie but the, the it you know the programmers kept telling us the people who you know accepted our film kept telling us exactly that they were just like i couldn't see this movie you know any other way and that we were just like we we wouldn't have told this movie if we had to tell it a traditional way like delivery stood way, out yeah like the only way we would tell the story is through the format we tell you is it, yep. you know it's it's not straight found footage it's kind of like mockumentary starts off as a tlc drama. show <laughs> yeah and turns TLC, into like, like a pregnancy show yeah and then it turns into rosemary's baby essentially and ends mm -hmm. up kind of more like a found footage movie but the format was when we came up with the concept the format was as much a part of it as the story yeah, and just kind of you know, spitballing off of what you had said, I, you know, we got that from a lot of the programmers. They were just like, it felt very much like, oh, like you needed to tell the story this way, yeah. or else it would have mm -hmm. just been flat, yeah. the same thing. That I, I think Heidi would agree, and and she can speak on this herself too. That again, we, when you have to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films, even <clears> though it's hard to identify with specificity like what it is about this that clearly shows the filmmaker had to tell this story in this way you can it's apparent like it's yeah. apparent when it's the sincerities there i don't know if heidi 100%. wants to speak yeah no it's very true and i think i think um there was a i'm not i don't remember who said earlier that um does the film needs to be like something about does the film need to be hot, mm -hmm. um higher budget is that better or you know something like that it doesn't matter i've shown films that are zero budget yep. um and inevitably they don't look as polished and they don't have that slick look but my god sometimes you do you show have to show it because it's so goddamn good anyway talent will come out um in the art no matter what your limitations are that it's it's just because you don't have the fantastic camera doesn't mean suddenly you're not going to be able to make a good movie. Um, your movie, your movie is good because of what you, what your talent, what you put into it, and what you wrote or what you're, you know, directing. Um, and everything around can enhance that. But like, like any, like a painting, 
um, you know, your tools don't matter as much as the talent behind it. I truly believe that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know why. What, I don't know where. I think I'm yeah, getting right. hey, no, tired. Yeah. I was like, where did that tune? He said <laughs> yeah, something else. That, and then that I, was kind of full circle to what we were talking about because I think when you're making, you know, the first, what, what Christian was talking about earlier, what he, what he was a DP on for something we had done, submitted it to one film festival, Scream Fest. It didn't get in. Mm -hmm. And after it didn't get in, the thought was, oh, well, it's not either good enough, it's too cheap, blah, blah, blah. It went to one festival. It didn't go anywhere else. The next thing we did was delivery, which went to, you know. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but you guys did. No, yeah, but, yeah, you know, exactly, but, yes. but the point is it went, it <laughs> yes. went to over a dozen film festivals across the country yep. and, and the world, really. And, and so I think the thing you learn is that it's not that one was, maybe the way, objectively one was better than the other, but I think ultimately what you learn is just that you're, you're going to make something and, and, and the hardest thing you can, that you can try to gauge when you're making something is, is you know, talent. But for Adam, Adam and I, like when we sit down and watch a film, it's very easy to like, sometimes I always say the first shot I could tell if a film filmmaker knows what they're doing. I was mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. When I watch the first, exactly. when I read the first page of a script, I usually go, oh, I know this person knows what they're doing. It doesn't mean you're yep. going to like the story. Yes. At least you know what they know what they're doing. Yep. And I always right from the start. I always say that from the very first, I, I forget, um, I forget, I forget the filmmaker, but I was, it, the first film they did was Shotgun Stories. It was the guy that did, um, he did uh, Midnight Special and mm. Loving, and I forget his name, but he's a filmmaker from Arkansas. But I watched the Shotgun Stories and I watched the first couple of shots, just the, they're just establishing shots. And I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is very unique. This is very interesting. Yeah. You just could see it. And I think it's the hardest thing to tell a filmmaker is just that, bring yourself to it because you will make a different filming than this person, than that person, than that person. And that's really the biggest thing that's going to separate it is your point of view. And I think it's very easy to just go, well, what do they want to see? And what yeah. they want to see versus what you bring what you to want to show. are two yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, Brian, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, going back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about the conversation you had about in regards to PTSD, you just made a comment about it. I remember having, I remember that conversation we had with some of the programmers at LA Film Festival. And I think it's important as filmmakers who have made films that have been accepted to film festivals, you have to understand that, you know, you make a movie that's about PTSD and you spent two years making this movie, you have to realize that your movie, if it's submitted to a festival that gets a lot of submissions, is probably not the only movie that is about PTSD. Mm -hmm. They probably have 15 of them. You know what I mean? Even though you feel like, oh, so that's where perspective comes in. Like, what's your perspective? What makes your film unique? If you're not only going up, you know, you're, you're submitting and they're, they only have 70 films they're accepting and they get 6,000 submissions, 15 of which are PTSD movies. You know what I mean? Like, how, what's your perspective? What are you saying? Yeah. What, 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 is your, what is your point of view? That's going to differentiate you to the programmers. Uh, again, it's got to be good and, you know, it's got to be, but by just telling your story, and giving them your point of view, I, I would say you, you would up your chances just because it's like going back to what you were saying. It's just it's genuine. It feels genuine. It feels like this is a story that only you could tell as opposed to just, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's about time we wrap this up as so we could all uh, eventually head to bed since it took yes. us forever to figure out how to, <laughs> how to get this uh, technology together. Yeah, I just wanted to say, so Miguel, before you you guys let us in on the conversation, Miguel and I were talking, and the, there's mm -hmm. a big elephant in the room, yeah. which is that uh -oh. the, the COVID 
has yes. kind of changed. Yes, yes. Um, yes. And um, so, so anybody <laughs> listening to this, I want them to be aware that we, you know, we're aware of that. Um, and that's significantly going to change the roles that mm -hmm. the film festivals yeah. and films play in, in for audiences, um, not in, um, you know, a ticket buying way. Uh -huh. So we're not sure where that's going to go. Um, yeah. It means, you know, some film festivals might disappear. Um, they might opt to disappear or disappear because they can't compete or, you know, everything might go online or, or be both and filmmakers might lose a lot of opportunities to show their films uh -huh. because of these other film festivals closing. So it's just uh -huh. something to keep in mind that everything we're talking about is definitely relevant, but we are at a really strange little threshold. Everything's up here, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like for instance, my festival, Syria is going to go virtual this year because oh, that's great. Uh, our theater is not going to be we do it at the egyptian it's not going to be open um uh, it's not there's not enough time um yeah. for it to to get ready so we're exploring other options but that's true for a lot of festivals my size uh, and even a little bit bigger um so yeah filmmakers might might have um some interesting choices to make soon. Yeah. Can I uh, ask a quick? Can I ask a really quick question? I'm sorry, Chris. I know this. To get, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Just going. Yeah. Um, what? So, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I think maybe either off camera or or, or, or off record or on record. There's so many different genres film festivals. What was it that yes. made? Why did? What made you two to say, okay, this is a niche that I, or this is a little niche, whether it's geographical or topical. What yeah. made you say, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and get into this thing because they're not easy to run they're time no they're not no you'd be surprised i've ruined my life <laughs> <laughs> so what made you say like what was the, what was the little the little like crevice that said i'm gonna go in here and i'm just gonna grow this thing and what, what made you both of you decide to just go in there and, and just give it a shot i'll go first yeah um so my so etheria specifically is for women directors with mm -hmm. genre films um yeah, I started this festival. I started programming a different festival in 2007 called Viscera, and um, it was for women who made horror films. That was more of a rare thing back in 2007, um, and it morphed over time. And now it's Etheria, um, and it's uh, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, thriller, um, directed by women. So it's not just you know the producer, because now pretty much if you if you have a festival where it's like oh the producer has to be a woman or the writer has to be, it's, well, you've got a film festival, like any other, because women are making all these films and producing all these films. So we were like, shit, we got to narrow this shit down. Yeah. So now it's directors. Um, and one of the reasons um, we wanted to do that specifically is uh, it's getting better now, but there are a lot of people making genre films who have opportunities to hire directors um, who do not hire women. And it's not because they're bad people or... Um, you know, not want to hire women because they hate women or something like that. But the answer that um, I usually get is, I don't know any. We had to get somebody in there fast. I don't know any women directors. I don't know where to find them. I'm sure there are some. I didn't see any of the festivals I went to this year that had the particular genre skills we were looking for. So I said, well, guess what? I know them all and I see their films and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch all 1,500 films so you don't have to. Um, and I'm going to curate the best of them in a block. And so the purpose is to, to get these specific filmmakers who are very, very talented directors who could tomorrow walk on the set of, you know, a TV show and direct, um, or walk into a Marvel sequel 
if they wanted to and direct that. Like they have that level of skill, but they just haven't had their success or been recognized in the way they should yet. Um, and we show those films to our audience, but we also show them to showrunners, um, executives, managers, agents, anybody who's in a position to help somebody get a job or bring recognition to somebody. Um, so th that's a big part of our audience too. So that's really the, the main reason for my festival. And it's genre because I don't like other, the non-genre films. I, I don't like, I, I just like that stuff. So that's why I want to show that stuff. Yeah. And there's a need for it. They, they want, mm -hmm. to, you know, if you want to yeah. hire women, for shit and you want to hire good women you need to know who they are and what their work looks like so. i mean the, the first 10 years of my my film career from 1995 to 2005 i was working under the most some of the most amazing powerful women executive producers of of the tonight show and the director executive producer all pretty much all the bosses were women you know and it it, it you just don't, but you don't see it in film as much you know it, it's more of like a tv thing where they may, no. maybe felt safer back in the day to, to kind of work their way into the TV world. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that there's never, that like sexism isn't a big problem. It is. Oh, racism yeah, is a big problem. Yeah. All this shit's a big problem. But I think on a personal level, um, the, the personal reasons why people are individually not being hired for things really has to do with people hire their friends. Mm -hmm. And people are friends with people that, that yeah. remind them of them and that like them. For instance, if I was going to, if I, if I was in charge of a show tomorrow, I'm the showrunner, more than half the crew would be women because that's who I know. That's who I'm friends with. And probably most of them would be white women because I know a lot of white women. We're very similar. That's it. And so men who have traditionally been in these positions of power, they're like, who do I know who's really good at this? Who do I know who I've worked with? It looks before? like me. And it happens to be other guys. And it's like, that's you hire people that you trust and you like and you've worked with before. Um, and we all trust and like and work with people that, we feel comfortable with and we're similar to. So we, we all yeah. have to make, and women too, white women, everybody has to make a conscious effort to go, you know, I need to just look at everybody because uh -huh. maybe I'm missing out on some amazing talent. Nobody should ever be hired because of their gender. Um, people should only be hired based on their talent, but nobody should be passed over because of their gender or race either. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. So uh, any, uh, so we have a filmmakers versus uh, film festival directors and and programmers. Uh, this has been great. Like, do you guys have any final words to say against each other or for each other? It's pretty run of the mill answer. Is that it's what I grew up with, and it was my entrance into cinema. And um, you know, my mom and my grandmother showed me everything from a very young age. You know, on Facebook, someone posted like, what's the movie that messed you up as a kid? And everybody's putting like, Pinocchio. And I put <laughs> Salo, the 120 days oh, of Salo. Shit, yeah. <laughs> that would have messed a lot of us That's up like, as children. Yeah, everybody yeah. was like, what the fuck? I was like, I was like eight. What? You know, I saw, yes. Holy and I saw shit. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer the year wow. it came out. So I must wow. have been 1986. Wow. I think I was nine when wow. I saw Henry. I think the movie I remember my mom feeling some regret about even Possibly, more yeah. was Henry portrait of a serial killer because it was uh, so real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of stories about my grandma telling me very gory, bloody detailed horror stories on her lap when I was like three. So it's mm -hmm. just something I grew up with, but you know, I am a classic movie fan. Like I love old musicals and I love pre-code. Yeah. I love film. I love pre-code. That's my second favorite genre. Yeah. 
I did a whole year of pre-codes mm-hmm. with my rep series that I do in San Diego last year. Um, they just showed three great ones on TCM last night. Okay. So, uh, but, but my entrance was definitely with cult horror crazy stuff. And um, I do feel like because with horror earlier, Brian, I think it was talked about like how you can kind of drop your pretensions a little bit with this because it's a stigmatized genre. Um, because you can drop your pretensions, it also means you can tell, talk about your fears and uncomfortable things mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit more candor. And yeah. I registered that at an early age. Like it is how I survived some weird shit growing and you up. You probably wrote a lot of stories as a kid too. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know. Um, about those situations. When I was a real young kid, I had a friend went to his house and his dad had a shitload, like this, a huge movie collection on VHS. And I remember like everybody like looks up to, I don't know, like Michael Jordan or something. Mm-hmm. I looked up to that. I was like, oh my God, one day I'm going to have a collection like that. I'm going to show all my friends. And it turned into a film festival ultimately. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works out. All right, everyone. Sorry, we, let, uh, we let Christian go to bed. No, no, I have to pee. I mean, we can keep, I'll keep talking. I got to pee, so that's the no. main thing, the main yeah. motivation. And Go these two guys, uh, Adam and, and uh, well, actually three of uh, three of the five of us have children, so they might have uh, problems. My girl's already, she's been, she sleeps a little bit. You, you're you're going to be up at five in the morning, but uh, I can, we can keep going. I, I, I don't mind. Um, um, I don't have kids, but um, I, uh, I'm tired. So <laughs> I'm, I'm tired anyway. I do. Um, all right, everyone. I've, 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 you know, I got the work. Tired, we have to yeah. work in the morning. The COVID work from home. So yeah. I'm probably annoying my girlfriend enough after two I and a half hours of uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you all, uh, Adam, uh, Brian, Heidi, Miguel. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. I hope to have you guys all back and um, we can and do another three hours. Anytime. Yeah. It's just super fun. You guys are really fun to talk to. Yeah. Uh, I have tons of questions for you about your work. So I'll probably just email you. Yeah. 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 Bug yeah. these guys uh, befriend each other on the Facebook and all that. And uh, everyone else, uh, make sure to follow these guys on, on their respective uh, social media networks. And, uh, and, and yeah. I'm going to go pee. Heading to do that now. I'm going pee. <laughs> go pee. He's going to go pee. <laughs> 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 sure. All right, guys. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you all for listening to my favorite horror movie. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and catch our videos on YouTube. All of those links and ways to pick up our books are at myfavoritehorrormovie.com. My Favorite Horror Movie is a Black Vortex Cinema production. Thank you all, and we'll see you soon, evil ones.